0: So hi, it's Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about beginnings, the beginnings of companies, new areas of science, innovation, sometimes even a little peek at uh, the uh, future. And today I'm here, I'm going to admit, I'm here with one of my personal favorite CEOs we're actually becoming kind of friends I think even though she's in Germany and I'm right now in California and we like never had a chance to be in the same place at the same time. Francisco Leonhardt of Ave and Edom now is it Ave and Edom or Ave and Edom or you know it's Adam and Eve backward but different team members pronounce it different ways. so how do you pronounce it?
1: Ave and Edom is perfect Mike.
0: Okay, so Avon Edom. So why don't we just start out with the the real basics and let everybody, if they don't know, know a little bit about you and uh, a little bit about what you're doing at Avon Edom and why you think this is the best thing for somebody with all the different kinds of background and skills you have to focus your time and attention on.
1: Yeah, so so I would start it off and maybe take a minute to introduce myself. I'm originally a lawyer by training, I uh, I kind of started my VC ways with Rocket Internet in, in Germany, in Berlin, heading their legal department. And uh, then in 2016, decided I, I really liked the commercial part of things much more and uh, changed into an operational role. And in uh, 2017, I was visiting the States. And um, as you know, there are much more Uh, let's say advanced and um, innovative in some parts uh, than us in Germany so um, I was super excited to see so much personalization going on for for muesli cars and and hair care but there was nothing yet uh, that that kind of touched on the largest organ so skin care wasn't there yet and uh, how things are you you meet other people I met my co-founder he was doing a lot of Personalization, optimization in an algorithmic way with uh, the industry. Um, uh, he was at that time researching in Stanford, and uh, yeah, we we talked a lot about optimization and how this is actually personalization for you know the the individual, and that's how we how we started off personalizing skincare.
0: Got it. So you're personalizing skincare. So let's go into so just. What does that mean? So to personalize it, you got to know something about me or the customer. uh, uh, And what is it you know? And then in response to what you know, you have to do something with the product that's unique. So just what is that for and What are you learning from the customer and how?
1: Yeah, so I always found it weird that, you know, you walk into a pharmacy or a drugstore or, you know, the likes and massive stack of stuff and you know it's basically four types it's it's oily or mixed or dry or or something uh or sensitive skin but you know we have so much data available now everyone has a variable Um, we know weather data we know uh water hardness we have so many factors and in the end you know we don't actually analyze any of this data in order to give us better products and um, for me this was you know already puzzling Um, at many products I saw but I think now you can also use this data and just create better products not only for you know me and you um, but also for the environment because as soon as you start to really look into products and what it needs to make this product I think you can you can be much more sustainable and avoid a lot of waste with the wrong product.
0: So let's just imagine I am new to and Edom. I show up and then What happened to you? I scan myself with my phone. Do I answer questions? Do, uh, you know, I take pictures and show them to three of my friends uh, to get feedback on what looks best. Just what's the process like?
1: So how we do it is right now it's an online test. So of course we analyze all this data in the background. We started off with a grid of two dermatologists and, and chemists as well as pharmacists, you say, I think in English. And we kind of framed it and then we put... algorithm over it so this was the start and then of course all the data i mentioned we collected and analyzed it we saw for you know patterns or or anything we could see in there that uh, that made it possible to build better product and now the consumer goes onto a site and they take the online test and they have the possibility to do a face scan things on your face lines or wrinkles or redness whatever it may be that you know the um the scan picks up and all this goes into the analyzation and then you get the product. Um, and actually, the really cool thing is what what I also thought was um, really innovative is that the customer gives you feedback, and then the product formula can or cannot be adjusted as you know as uh, as the liking of the customer is on, on the product.
0: So, how's it going? Is the world beating a path to your door? Are you finding that you're uh, learning and testing and adjusting? What's been the initial? response to this? Are you certain that you've got it right? Are you hoping that you've got it right? Are you're pretty sure that you're going to have to do something different to get it right?
1: So my dad always says, hoping is for church. It's been a really tough road. So I mean, we started off from being a technology company, and technology always came first to me. So for me, the product as such was always the winning thing. And I think many mistakes probably that you make as an entrepreneur are focusing, too much on your wonderful product and forgetting a little bit about product market fit, maybe. Um, I think this is something we definitely did at the beginning. Although we're testing a lot, we also didn't realize that maybe, as you know, we started off being completely self-funded and bootstrapped. So, I think we were always looking a lot to be, you know, saving money, keeping costs low, keeping, of course, burn low. At some point, you realize that you can't have three products. You know, you have your website, you have your neural net, you have your physical product, and um, it's a lot to maintain. So I think at the moment, we've tried a lot of different things, channels and so on, and I'm, I'm focusing much more now on creating the demand side and leaving the technology um, for a later stage. But I think without the demand side, it's so crucial that I, yeah, I had to pivot a little bit on my, on my own focus.
0: So almost all of our companies we find pivot in some way. We always say that what the companies say in our first meeting in the 10 slides that shook the world turns out almost never actually be true. Uh, my mentor early in my career, Bill Ziff used to say, that if human beings behaved in a logical fashion, the world would be an entirely different place, and they don't. And so Mm -hmm. it's often hard to really get down to what will cause folks to do anything, especially something new, even if what you're saying when you start makes a lot of sense, that doesn't mean people will do it. And what causes them to act may be something that from a scientific point of view or from a previous experience point of view may seem like nonsense, but it's not nonsense to them. So I'm curious, how are you pivoting? What are you getting ready to do now that you didn't do before? Uh, what's different?
1: So I think first of all, you know, it's really hard to let go of your vision and your dream. So, so kind of, you know, if you see it all very clear and it's not picking up in the market, it's super hard, I think, to do this pivot, you know, and even if it's necessary, it takes like, um, I think uh, a, lo- a lot of courage to then go and talk to your investors and you know go about it so I think for us what I saw is that personalization is a mega trend and I think um, also you know direct to consumer and um, COVID has done a lot of things for the speed of digitization at least in Europe so um, and I assume probably it's, it's you know, the U.S. has been much further in this anyways, but I think also it it worked a lot in, in, in the favor of a lot of uh, direct-to-consumer companies. So I do think that um, the trend is there, but I also see that, you know, a lot of people don't have the time to go through a skin test. They don't want to, you know, spend the extra five minutes to get the analysis. And I think, you know, the customer decides. So if you kind of look at the heat maps and you look at the You question your customers and you look at the numbers, I think you have to kind of give them offers that um, they want. And so, in the middle of COVID, we introduced um, a product range that has a a more semi personalized approach. So, you know, we've gathered so many data points. We are at around 3 million data points. As you know, we have our own laboratory. So, we spend lots of the time in lockdown to actually develop. Um, more products that already resulted from the customer feedback and the data we inputted doesn't rely so much on the personalization of the customer itself, but on regions, on you know climate factors, on on all these learnings we had. And um, yeah, we launched them in you know around July, August, and we we have doubled our revenue with them. so it's definitely uh, picking up and even though, you know, you wanted to go down the personalization road, I think it just means you don't have to kill it. You and I, we spoke about it and it was actually you telling me do more of what's successful. And I really took that at heart. And, you know, if the customer is maybe not ready to always buy these extra, uh, you know, complicated products, then you have to follow the customer and give them a simple product.
0: Yeah, exactly. And often the winning idea isn't the one you thought you had at the beginning. Uh, the market's uh, challenging that way.
1: Absolutely.
0: Challenge is the right word. <laughs> yeah. So it, speaking of challenge, and if you don't mind, so when COVID first started, you and I had a conversation and I was having conversations with a lot of our CEOs about, are you ready for COVID? Do you need any advice? Do you need any access? Um, how are you doing? And most of those conversations were about lab access and uh, product stuff and tech, et cetera. And with you, it was, well, I'm trapped at home as a single mother with a child and I'm exhausted. Do you mind if we go into that? So you've got all this going on and you're trapped at home as a single mother with a child. How did that go? How did the summer go? How could you (laughs) keep all that going? I found myself Trying to imagine doing what I do with a young kid, you know, within eyes view, and I couldn't even imagine how to cope with it all. So, how did you cope with it all, or have you cope with it all?
1: I'm alive. I think you know, we we grow with our tasks. So, um, it definitely was a, a super hard time, and it also made me realize, you know, how how thankful I can be that you know I have so much help from my family and. And that I have actually a nanny that supports me in the regular time. But I really have to say, you know, it, it kind of also made me realize how still we live in a structure where it's very normal that the woman takes care of the child and the man goes to work. And it was kind of totally normal that it was just me doing it, you know, as a single parent. And there was really, let's say, zero support <laughs> Um, from from the other side and it, it turned me into, into a little bit of a, I would say, modern equalist because I, I really, uh, I think it shouldn't be this way, you know, you shouldn't have to fight for 50-50 on children and it came with not only the struggle that I had the child and was stuck with it but also with the trouble of investors saying, well, you know, we might be stuck for a while in COVID. Are we going to trust a single mom to really make it through? Oh. And as you know, you know, um, I'm, I'm so happy that I have the support from you, for example, and others. But I found that this is still an obstacle when raising money to, to talk about um, these topics, because it's much easier to give money to a 25-year-old single guy um, than it is to give it to someone who has uh, to raise a kid on the side. And I see it as an advantage because I think I'm, you know, I I have so much experience in time management and I'm willing to work super hard and, and make the priorities. However, it, it was not my reality when going into fundraising in COVID.
0: And have you seen any change during COVID? Do you feel like folks having heard about this and seen it with others close to them etc are opening up to it at all or closing down?
1: I mean to be honest I saw a trend that a lot of my female friends actually stayed at home so um, for me uh, corona was showing that we we still don't have kind of this equality that we are maybe preaching or living um, on the outside it's it was not the standard at least not in Germany so but, but I think, you know, the good thing is to talk about it. I decided on LinkedIn to post about it a lot and I had so right. many responses. and um, I gave a lot of interviews on it as well because I think people have to know if you're in that situation that, you know, it's not you struggling with it because you're too weak. It's just a really difficult situation and um, you're not alone out there struggling because you can't manage, but just because, you know, it is difficult and priorities have to be, you know, reviewed and adjusted. And, and that's just hard. So I think that was my best learning to, to kind of not pretend that everything is fine, but, you know, talk about that sometimes it's not fine and, and learn how to cope with that.
0: i to that. I think we talked about this early on. There was a period in my career, several years where I was the single parent to four kids and, uh, I got the eye roll I got, it was a very strange period of time where some folks just presumed he couldn't do it, couldn't do it, no way. It was challenging, but I actually, looking back on it, I think it was great for me. I think it was great for my kids. We all sort of went through the war together, grew up together, learned a lot about one another uh, together. So, you know, I think at least as an individual, I'm never going to react that way because uh, energy creates time. And if you're focused and you're in the right kind of personal situation, you can basically do anything. And if you're not, if you're lonely, if you're feeling out on the edge of humanity, your time's gonna constrict. And even if you have nothing to do, you'll get less done. So uh, I believe, and I think all of us at the fund uh, believe, and we talk about it a lot, that we're human beings. And the CEOs that we back and their teams are human beings. And in some ways, that's what makes what we do so interesting. But often we forget it. I had a CEO of a portfolio company yesterday uh, really thank me because I had a little conversation with him about we're all being affected by COVID. We're beginning to wear down a little bit, uh, a little moodier. Folks are isolated in a different way and everyone's unique, but none of us are the same as we were when this started. And he should cut himself some slack that way. His company was about to move headquarters, but now they're not. And he just said, it's so strange that you actually talk to me about me and not just about my KPIs. And and it seemed odd to me that someone wouldn't he's a person where all people were all sort of in this together uh, in a messy, sloppy human way, trying to get through today and get to the next day, more or less in one piece and do the best we can. And I genuinely believe that greatness emerges from that. Greatness doesn't emerge from some sort of strut down main street. It, it emerges from struggle and dealing with the unexpected and having to go down deep inside yourself and find, resources and capacity you didn't know were there.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think as a founder, what, what I wasn't expecting when coming from a, from a corporate job or I never felt ready and I always, you know, postponed doing my own thing because I, I never thought I was good enough or I was ready. And, you know, I got another degree and another degree and another, <laughs> but I, when you then start, you realize you will never be ready. there is no ready, right? So you're kind right. of craziness and you have this big vision. and what is so what I you know what I admire so much about you guys is that you kind of feel like as a founder, you know you 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 want to share this craziness of your thoughts and uh, you you don't want to be judged for that and you you also want to be able to fail at some point and say, I think I did something wrong or something's not working. And you want to get honest, reflected advice on this. And how can you do that if you know, people are not really giving you that room? So I think it's it's super important to to be able to have this kind of connection with your investors where you can really be open. In Corona, this was even more important to, to be able to really reach out to someone and say, you know, I'm not sure I'm still doing the right thing or I'm struggling here and there. But um, but I think it really helps to have some companions on the way and, and to be able to see your investors more like a mentor or a support than to see them as you know a bank or like someone who controls you.
0: That's certainly uh, our feeling. And we've found, we've talked about this too, I think that uh, one of the characteristics that we see in the strongest companies in the end, when everything's said and done, is leaders who uh, tell the truth to everyone, including themselves. So maybe on that note, is as good a way as any to wrap now. But what I'd love to do, let's do this again in a few months after COVID. Absolutely. Super, (laughs) great to talk. Can't wait till I can actually see you in person. And um, hopefully we'll have seen each other in person before we do this screen thing again, or we can do the screen thing sitting next to one another in the same room, that would be terrific.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Mike.